G'day folks, this is Screen Watching. My name's Dan, joined here by Simon. Simon, how Australian was that intro? I said g'day like a regular old Australian, a dinky die, true blue Australian. G'day, mate. Well, funny you should say that. I'm in Melbourne for my science fiction film festival, and last night, with a couple of hours to spare, we turned on the hotel television. What did I see for the first time? Kangaroo Jack. Ooh. That, that incredibly funny, I, you know, all I'd heard was horrible things. Um, and do you know... If someone asks you what is the only film to star Michael Shannon and Christopher Walken, suddenly they're in Kangaroo Jack together. I was blown away. wasn't too bad. Had a bit of a giggle. How are you, Dan? Sorry, I'm just concerned. Is this now the part where the podcast moves from talking about all things screen, so the things we've been watching on TV and movies, to becoming an intervention? Is that largely where this is going? It may now? have to be. I'm seeking out Kangaroo Jack two as we speak. I'm hoping it's on the in-house television. Yeah. Now, in furthering Simon's commitment to the sound quality of this podcast, we've decided, sure, last week there may have been a few complaints that Simon's volume wasn't really necessarily high enough. He's like, I've got the volume issue licked, but instead I'm going to introduce a new wrinkle into this and not have a microphone, not have headphones, just do it from a laptop in a hotel room. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Who knows how this is going to turn out? Uh, to those of you who complained last week that you couldn't hear me, I appreciate that. To those of you who complained last week that they could hear me, shut your face. Um, I Look, I'm not going to apologise for that. Simon, this week on the program, we've got a bunch of reviews. We've got maybe the most hotly anticipated movie of 2023, maybe the decade. Like, you know, I don't think it's unfair to say that. Uh, so look, on my docker, I'm going to be talking about the ABC, like US ABC sitcom called Not Dead Yet, which just debuted in Australia on Disney Plus in the last week. I'm also going to look at some recent revival series. So in Australia, we've got the music video, uh, well, sorry, it's a music uh, game show called Rockwiz. That's back for season 15 on a brand new network after mm -hmm. a hiatus of, I'm going to say seven years. And then also we've got the return of Party Down, which is back for a third season after a hiatus of, uh, let's say, a decade. Mm. Yes, long time between drinks for those boys and girls. Uh, I'll be looking at After Sun, uh, which is an Oscar contender for leading man Paul Meskell. And the film to which you refer, a movie that uh, really does sort of look at the complexity of the human existence in all its forms, uh, Cocaine Bear will be part of my review this week. So it's a, it's a fairly hefty program, my friend. Look, there's a lot going on. Let's not dilly-dally. Let's get right in. Do we have a stint? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Simon Foster. Okay, look. on this, like, Okay, so let's get people holding out for Cocaine Bear. We don't want to give yeah. them like, too much you know, steak before sizzle. So let's instead go to... Look, I mentioned this is a new show that's appeared on the Disney Plus platform here in Australia. It's called Not Dead Yet. Maybe video will play? Who can say? <laughs> stretch, stretch. So I'm always reminded of the line from The Simpsons about the mule with a spinning wheel, because all I can see is a spinning wheel here. But no donkey. No I, donkey I don't know what to think of this. No... Nothing's playing. No, it's, nothing's playing. Let's just stop that. It's just terrible. Because, of course, this is a podcast with no edits, so whatever. Simon Foster, let me tell you about Not Dead Yet, 
which is, uh, first of all, probably my top level advice on this one is don't watch it. I think that's maybe, is, is that unfair? Is that enough of a review? Can I just spring it to an no, end there? No, we should dig more into this because I, one of the great joys of you looking at the running sheet sometime in the days ahead of the podcast is that I get to see what you're going to review. So I actually watched a few episodes of Not Dead Yet and I may have a count of you. So let's hear your perspective. Okay, well, I'm interested in your accounts of you, only because it will be completely counter to every other review on the planet for this program. But, look, the premise of this series is, uh, first of all, it stars Gina Rodriguez. Uh, she stars as Nell Serrano, and I'm reading a blurb here, a broken, newly single, self-described disaster. She works to restart the life and career she left behind 10 years ago when she lands the only job she can, writing obituaries. And she starts getting life advice from an unlikely source. Now, Simon, the... Overall idea of this one is you've got Gina Rodriguez being as charming as she generally is. Uh, she's got a group of uh, friends, one reluctantly, and it's about her coming to terms with a life that she's having to rejoin. So she's been away and she's suddenly finding herself having to integrate into the life that she once had in what seems to be a vibrant newsroom, which seems very fraudulent to me. Like, how does this even exist? Uh, but basically, she's got a best friend. Uh, her name's Sam, played by Hannah Simone. People would know her from New Girl. And then you've also got Lauren Ash, who people would know from Superstore, playing Lexi. Lexi is the uh, daughter of the owner of the publication they work for. She's incredibly wealthy, and she's now there in like a managerial role, and nobody cares for her. Uh, basically, what I find with this program is that it's the exact same sort of generic TV program that seems to appear on a schedule every year. The gimmick for this one is that she writes obituaries, and she keeps on getting life advice from the people whose obituary she's writing. Uh, I mean, that's, it's a shtick that can only really last so long. What the strength of this one needs to be is in the core protagonists. Uh, you've got Gina Rodriguez, who I said is very charming. You've got Hannah Simone from New Girl. I think Hannah Simone is an absolute star. The fact that she hasn't had our greatest success post New Girl is a crying shame to me. She was supposed to be starring in a Greatest American Hero remake, uh, but that didn't seem to go past pilot stage, which is really unfortunate because ultimately Hannah Simone should be the lead of this program and maybe not Gina Rodriguez. As charming as she is, I just think Hannah Simone's, you know, she, she's top level. Gina Rodriguez, she's fine. Rodriguez will be in another sitcom next year. I've got no concern that she'll bounce from one mediocre thing to the next. And then Lauren Ash, who was a bit of a breakout in Superstore, she just plays such an unlikable character here. I just couldn't really latch into anything with her. Uh, the problem with Lauren Ash is that she plays things very big and broad consistently. And she certainly nails the brief for this one, but I don't know, she's not really a character I want to spend a huge amount of time with. And that's the thing with this show. It needs to be moving in the direction of becoming a hangout comedy and you just don't want to hang out with them. Like, even the word comedy seems a little bit sort of um, misapplied to the show. It's just the same sort of generic show that crops up on a schedule every year. People will notice that it's there. It'll get cancelled. There'll be a few people online going, oh, my God, it's such a tragedy. But ultimately, no one will care. Simon Foster, <laughs> you've got a differing viewpoint. You seem to like this program for whatever reason. Well, I would say that... All your complaints certainly apply to the first episode. I found it being a very bog standard setup of a sitcom premise. Um, well, it's a premise as, pilot. It's a premise pilot, yeah. And and I, I could see I had issues with Gina Rodriguez, who just seemed to be so hammy and playing to the back row in, with her version of the character. Um, I, I got concerned that Martin Mull, as the first of the dead people who turns up, 
was going to be the ongoing character, uh, not having seen seen or read anything about this sitcom going into it. And I found that that was very laboured in the comedy. Um, I also sensed that there was quite a big gap between that pilot episode and the next couple of episodes that I watched because some of the really sort of um, boisterous comedy was was toned back a bit in episodes two and three. Some of the issues she had with the dead people became a little bit more affecting and a little maybe the writing was a little bit better in those second and third episodes. Um, and by the time I sort of came around to the end of the third episode, I was thinking, all those things you say are true. It's not a particularly marvellous bit of television, but there is a likability. You're absolutely right about Hannah Simone. She's a star in the making, and I hope we haven't passed her sort of in the spotlight hot moment yet because um, I think she's going to be a, a major television presence, at least on television, hopefully in films as well. well um, the I other should say, character- Simon, she, she has been a major TV presence for, I don't know, about like 10-odd years now. Like she was on New Girl sure. for, was that seven or nine seasons? Went for a while. And broke, She's not a stranger. broke out as a no and broke out as a star for that. I would have thought that just playing the support character, the Judy Greer character, as I like to call it, is is sort of beyond her at this stage. I would have I would have liked like as you say, I would have liked to seen her in the Gina Rodriguez role. Um, yes, simple, basic television. Don't know where it's going to take its premise with any great degree of skill, but. I don't know. I just found it a. I, I did find it the hangout comedy. I thought it was going to. I think they hope it's going to be for some people. So last week, before Simon and I started recording the podcast, we had an extended conversation that went for about twenty-five minutes about our toast preferences. Uh, Simon was mm-hmm. aghast at the fact that I enjoy a bit of toast with just a bit of margarine on it. I usually do two slices: one with margarine, one with like a tasty sort of a spread. But anyway, Simon just could not understand why I'd enjoy just margarine on toast. To me, this program we're talking about, not dead yet, this is margarine on toast. (laughs) But you like margarine on toast. Yeah. I don't get your analogy. I I think it's just, uh, you know, I don't care for the spread. (laughs) All right. Okay. So it's called Not Dead Yet, um, which is the name of, why is it called Not Dead Yet? I've. Good well, question. That, that's not the name of the obituary, is it? Yeah, that's a strange title. Um, I mean, it, it makes sense if it was some sort of a metaphor for her sort of reaching a point in her life where she feels though she's on the cusp. But ultimately, not dead yet makes sense if she's a woman who is mm. maybe sort of close to retirement and she's not quite dead yet because she hasn't quite retired or something. You could do something with that. It makes no sense in the context mm. of which who this character is. Yeah, very true. All right, so it's called Not Dead Yet. It's on Disney Plus here in Australia, Hulu, around the world. Um, I'm going to have a look at After Sun. Keep selling the sizzle on Cocaine Bear. After Sun is the... You there? Hello? After Sun is the new film starring Paul Mescal. Simon? Simon, can we play a clip? Is that too much? Yeah. Oh, let's give it a shot. Yeah, sorry, you've dropped off your, your video there, so I can't see what you're doing. But yeah, let's play a clip. I love you. Love you. (laughs) Why don't you go over and introduce yourself? Dad, no, they're like kids. Why don't you go over and introduce yourself? Sophie, they're like old.
okay, Simon, that's enough of that. That's the sort of trailer that I think works really well when you're sitting at Palace Cinemas with your popcorn without any butter on it and your wine in your other hand. I'm not sure it will play so well when you're sitting on your couch at home. <laughs> I'm keen to see uh, what people make of After Sun because it's a very unique movie starring Paul Mescal as, as you saw there in the clip, the very young father of uh, Frankie Corio, the wonderful young Scottish actress who plays her daughter. They It is set back in the 90s. They are on what turns out to be their last holiday together. He separated from her mother and uh, they are enjoying some time in the sun before the burdens of life take over her as a, as a, a young woman growing into her teenage years and him as a father dealing with um, a lot of very sort of tough personal issues as well. What we soon come to realise is this is a film told almost entirely in flashback. Those scenes are actually happening in the memories of a um, a young woman who's having a lot of trouble, uh, which is the daughter all growing up. And we get a fleeting glimpse of him as an older man um, and his life in absolute turmoil. So this is a heartbreaking, very melancholy bit of um, British filmmaking uh, told in a style that earned the young director Charlotte Wells the Best New Talent uh, BAFTA Award this year, just a, just a week or so ago. Um, take Your Tissues, this is a movie that absolutely creeps up on you, uh, told in a very naturalistic uh, neorealism, I think is the term that some of the snotty film critics use to describe this. It's It's a Completely understand that Mescal got a Oscar nomination for this. Don't understand why the young actress Frankie Corio did not also share in the award season spoils because she's um, just as incredible playing opposite him and totally believable as a, a young woman who starts to realise that she's probably a bit more mature and a bit smarter than her dad. That clip you saw there where he says, go and play with the kids and she says, why don't you go and play? Why don't you go over there? you sort of realise she's also saying you go and play with the kids because that's about your level. So um, there's a lot of insight, a lot of powerful drama, a lot of gentle drama in this as well. Uh, check out After Sun um, at, at select cinemas around town. Okay, uh, Simon, I'm going to start by playing a little clip of Rockwiz and then we'll play a clip from Party Down and then we've been talking about both at once. Like, you know, not at once like it's not gonna be like me laying voice over the top of it let's play some clips love music trivia and comedy well new rock quiz will blow your amp Okay, that's enough of that. Now it's a party down reunion. Oh, and that's yes. what everyone's dying for. Hello, party down catering. Yes, of course we're open for business. I just need your event info and I will help you get the party started. This is an important event. No personal business on company. Ah, group photo. Okay, you get the whole gang. Weren't we the gang and you were more management? Now it's a party down reunion. Oh, and that's yes. what everyone's dying for. This is a big opportunity. I want high professional service. This is not how I envisioned my 40s. Uh, oh, no! 
Okay. You know, I had some silver. Okay, Simon. So we're talking TV revivals this week. So we've got the return of Rockwiz, which, as I mentioned in the preamble at the beginning, the last season of that was, uh, I'm going to say about 2015-ish, thereabouts. Uh, and then also got Party Down, which uh, I think was, gosh, uh, is there a year here that I can quickly bring up? Uh, 2010. So it's certainly been over a decade since we've had Party Down and certainly getting close on, you know, a decade with Rockwiz. Uh, but both shows have been revived. Now, Rockwiz, it's a bit easier to get something like that up and running again. It's a sensibly just a game show on television. Uh, if people don't know Rockwiz, it's basically, it's kind of like a uh, less sort of snarky version of Nevermind the Buzzcocks from the UK, if you've ever watched that game show. Uh, it's basically very sort of hard, real music nerd trivia uh, combined with a couple of jokes in there and a few musicians who are participating on each team uh, so in the very first episode, you've got Jimmy Barnes on one team and another performer whose name I didn't know because uh, I'm too old to pay attention to new music, uh, but it was a young musician who was on there. Anyway, uh, the way that it used to work is that there'd be an integration of music and uh, so, you know, songs by the original artists and then they'd do like a duet at the end and then there'd be an extended amount of trivia. Now, when you saw the opening, the little bit of video there with uh, Julia Zamiro, the host of the show, and she was talking about what the show was, uh, she referred to it as music, trivia, comedy, and you'd think that would be the, uh, the hierarchical nature of what they're really looking to be able to achieve here. I can confirm that the new revamped Rockwiz, which is now only half an hour instead of an hour long, okay, has music, check. It's got comedy, which is certainly elevated all the way through it. But the trivia, Simon, they've truncated the show to being just half an hour. It was 16 minutes into the program and they did the first quiz question. And to me, like the rock is important, but the quiz part of it is actually really important as well. And it seemed as though that was the least important part of this revival series. And I don't quite understand what they're doing here. It's very confusing. That's well, that is very confusing because not only it, it, it makes no sense in the format of the show, but it was mm. the key sort of draw that made me sit at home and watch this. I mean, I enjoyed the music and I enjoyed the cover songs that they always used to do at the end. That was really cool. But joining in and trying to answer the quiz questions was key to my sort of overall commitment to the original rock quiz format. So to have them temper that back, that's not yeah. great. Baffling. So I've only seen the first episode, so maybe it's just like a first episode return, but it very much felt like I don't know what they do with this format to bring that quiz any sooner. So the way that it rolls out is uh, Brian Nankervis, who is still involved in the program on screen, which to me made very little sense considering that her his role and Julia's Mirror's role kind of butt up against each other a little bit. And with such mm. a tight format now, like maybe Brian had to step aside, which is a shame because I like Brian Nankervis. So, you know, that, that'd be unfortunate. But like, you know, I don't think there's enough room in the show for both of them anymore. Uh, Julia comes out, does her little bit of shtick at the beginning, sort of like a monologue opening comment sort of a thing. Uh, they then have uh, the guests coming out, uh, like the uh, quiz composition people. They always ask them what their first concert was, and so they keep that part mm. of the show, which that was always a charming way to get to know your contestants, so that's cool. Uh, and then they have to guess who the um, celebrity is that's going to be joining their panel. 
so you see, you know, the artists come out, each of them perform a song. So you've got two songs, you've got opening monologues, you've got conversations about first concerts. And after all that, I don't know how there's really time to get to the quiz any sooner than 16 minutes in, which when you've got an hour long format like that, that's relaxed and comfortable to get to. But in this half hour, yeah. like it's, it's too much. Well, that is challenging yes, to me. I don't know. And I mean, I was also concerned by the fact that, they, yeah. Now, I was going to say, one of the big sort of annoyances in my life generally all- is that Rockwiz used to air on SBS in Australia, the previous 14 seasons all on SBS. The last season of Rockwiz was yep. right before I started working at SBS, and there was never another season of it at SBS during the entire time I was there. And that pissed me off beyond belief. I can imagine it would. I was about to say that one of my concerns is that this is just another little bit of IP being uh, regurgitated for, for to make for modern content, is that Barnsey, God bless him, love Barnsey, grew up with Barnsey, but he is a very safe entry point for a show that used to really pride itself on tapping into the Triple J crowd, trying to get the latest, newest, um, more interesting young performer on. Um, and I don't know if the the fox empire are going to allow that to happen so um i'm really concerned that it's half an hour uh love julia zamira of course so always happy to see her on television but um yeah this is a this is a a perplexing conundrum for me the new version of rock quiz yeah in fact i'd almost have preferred if they did because obviously it's half an hour for a budget reason so i think it's 10 episodes for this season coming through stripped down to half an hour which i mean this can't be a high budget program to be producing at the best of times like it's pretty stripped back uh but ultimately i don't understand why they've gone half an hour just do like five hour longs if that's really what your issue is it'd be a much better program for it but anyway it's good to see it back it just doesn't quite hit the um, target you'd want um now let's move on to party down which is a show which has uh, greater difficulty getting back to the screen than Rockwiz does. So Rockwiz, it's just a matter of bringing the hosts out from the cupboards they've been sitting in for the last five or six years. I presume that's how TV works. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Party Down's got a few more struggles involved, which is that it's not just reviving a set and you know a couple of presenters. What this is, is actually considering the narrative of Party Down. Now, if you've never seen this program before, it's set in Los Angeles. It's about some wannabe actors and writers who are working for a catering company. So the, the show really, it, it's got an, it's a comedy, but it does have like this sort of sad tone to the program generally, because you got all these people who are wannabe, they're aspiring actors, but they can never really quite make it in Hollywood. And anytime they have like the chance, the glimmer of a little bit of success, something always kind of gets in the way and it doesn't really quite like pan out for them. But it only ran for two seasons, and the second season ended with this really hopeful note where your main character in it, this guy Henry, uh, played by Adam Scott, he, after two seasons of being fairly depressed because he was an actor who had like a fair bit of heat behind him at one point, but did a terrible TV ad. I think it was a beer commercial from memory. And the slogan of the beer commercial was, are we having fun yet? And so he became known as the are we having fun yet guy, and it kind of derailed his career. And so he's kind of tortured by that through the first few seasons of the program. But in the final episode of the show, which wasn't supposed to be the final episode of the series, it just got cancelled. Interestingly, it got cancelled because ratings for the program were never particularly high, but I believe that that final episode had no more than 5,000 people watching it nationally. Oh my God. 
might have been 8,000, but it was incredibly low. Uh, but anyway, stars, I think, were justified in the cancellation of the program, but it hurts because it was such great TV comedy. Yeah. But anyway, the final episode ends with him going on an audition again. So it's like this, it's not necessarily him achieving success, but it's about him really actually going out there and putting himself back out in the world. And so it ends on a hopeful note. Now they're reviving this program over a decade later, and immediately I just got really concerned about it because the premise of this program and the only way that it holds together is that you got all these um, wannabe actors and writers who were aspiring to make it, who suddenly 10 years later are still working for the same catering company. Like, that's really sad because it means that the overall sadness of these people early in their careers not making it is compounded even more when they're in their 40s and older, still not having made it. Okay, so like that's, you know, difficult to contend with. So you've got that aspect of things. But also the lack of... Um, I couldn't wrap my mind around the idea that these characters would still be working for this company specific specifically. I appreciate a catering company is often a job that you find a lot of actors and other um, creatives in Hollywood doing because it's flexible. You can work, you know, whatever hours you want. If you can't do a shift, then someone else can fill on the crew. Uh, and then also like it's sort of working usually just on weekends and you can do auditions during the day. Like there's lots of reasons you take on a job like this. But why would you keep working for this company? Because it's an awful, awful, awful company to work for. It's absolutely the sort of thing that you can like just cop doing for a year or two. And then you just find some sort of other terrible job to keep you going forward. I don't understand why any of these characters would still be there. Now, as the season three opener happens, uh, you find that a couple of the characters are still there. Okay. But the others are brought in through circumstances that are unrelated to their working there. But we do know from having seen the trailer that Adam Scott will be back working for the company. And that's just incredibly sad. I don't understand why he would. And it was just a bit of a struggle to get past the reality of these characters coming back after 10 years. Now, if the show had the sort of pretense of it being a bit like The Simpsons, where you just kind of have to put the reality of it aside and just appreciate that these are characters and it's just a comedy engine for the jokes and the characters just keep on doing what they're doing. You could make excuses sure. for it, but there was this narrative that was really threaded through the first two seasons of the show that made it feel propulsive. And it wasn't just an engine for comedy. We were actually invested in these characters and where they're going. That's what makes this one just a little bit hard to get into. Uh, there's a couple yeah. of additions in this final season, oh, in this new season. Hopefully it's not a final. I'd like to see it keep on going. Uh, uh, Jennifer Garner's now in there for some reason. I don't quite understand, but that'll play out over the next couple of episodes. Uh, and then there's a couple of other newbies that have joined the crew. And so it's, you know, it, there's certainly some new voices in there, a couple of new faces, and that's appreciated. But yeah, there's something just weird about coming back to Party Down after all this time, considering the overall conceit and framework of the program. Very fond of those initial couple of seasons. I was part of that early wave who loved the, the first uh, incarnation of Party Down had a, a lot of laughs watching it. Very concerned that Lizzie Kaplan is not part of the mix in this remake. Um, she was integral to sort of being the bringing everyone down to earth and putting everyone in their place sort of character that's crucial to a lot of these sort of comedies of the first one. I thought, and without having seen any of the new season, I thought maybe Jennifer Garner will play that role. I don't know if that eventuated, but. Um, Lizzie Kaplan apparently held out for money, also is doing time on uh, the Fleischman show, so maybe not available. But, yeah, it's a bit tough to say it's a full cast revival without without her, I think. 
Yeah, look, uh, in a lot of the interviews that have happened in the lead-ups to the program, everyone's been very uh, specific in saying that it wasn't a money issue for Lizzie Kaplan, it was just purely timing. Uh, they had a certain window they were able to mm. get the show happening. So Adam Scott's also the star of Severance on Apple TV+. Plus in order to be able to do the program, because Adam Scott really is the most essential character in the program. Without him, you don't really have a show to hang it off. So unless you could do it in his severance, like off time window, like the show just wasn't going to happen and Lizzie Kaplan couldn't do that. So it's a bit of a shame not to have her there, but at the same time, the rationale they give for her not being there uh, is actually really quite welcome and does speak to what you'd kind of want to hope for this program, that these characters aren't actually still working for Party Down in 2023. Okay. All right. So it's on the Stan Network happening as we speak. Did get some butchering reviews coming out of the US. I read a couple of the trades that said it was a a, a major, major misfire. But um, I mean, I like this crew, so I'll probably go and have a look at it at some point. Yeah, it was a bit weird. All the reviews right at the beginning were super negative. But as it got closer to the broadcast date, there starts to be quite a few more positive reviews come out. So it's kind of a little bit middling. And having seen the first episode, I kind of understand why. But anyway, Simon, the movie event of our lives, shall we discuss? <laughs> Medic! Oh, Jesus. What is that? Beth, we should go. Millions of dollars worth of cocaine fell from the sky this morning in Knoxville, Tennessee. There's more of this out there. They dumped it somewhere. I'm looking for my daughter. Forest is a dangerous place. Hey, Henry, check it out. Something got into it. A deer, maybe. A lot of cocaine was lost. I need you to go and get it. Okay, Simon, hmm. Cocaine Bear, that can I just read out a tweet that I posted as soon as I saw the movie? Sure. Okay, so look, when I was going into the movie, the big question is, is this movie going to be any good? And I didn't want to answer that for people with a tweet coming out, but I wanted to post a bit of an FAQ for people. So I posted my Cocaine Bear FAQ, and this is my questions. Does the bear do cocaine? Answer, yes, she does. Does the bear do a lot of cocaine? Hell yeah, she does. Yeah, she sure does. Oh, look, it's a it's a movie that promises um, just in the title alone to be a rollicking good time. But a few years back, Snakes on a Plane promised that as well, and it turned out to be crap. So does Cocaine Bear go beyond its title? I would say mostly yes. I think it doesn't quite lean into the utter insanity that it could um, inspire and... For me, that was a little bit of a disappointment. It seemed like a lot of uh, good little moments that somehow didn't quite find a tonal sort of altogetherness. But within those small moments, there's a lot of fun to be had. Um, the bear, it's been you know widely spoken of that this was based on a real-life incident. The real-life incident was nowhere near as funny. The bear ate a couple of bags of cocaine and almost died straight away from overdosing. Here in this one, the bear becomes instantly addicted to the powder, um, and wherever it can sniff it out, it goes crazy for it. Um, 
the uh, undoing of Jesse Tyler Ferguson at one point is very, very funny, albeit quite gory. And it's gory in a, a very polished studio kind of way. So don't worry, you're not going to see too much. You're not going to see sort of the comedy version of that scene from The Revenant. Um, this is very much a, a, a funny kind of um, adventure story with some wacky comedy thrown in. I would also almost say there's too many characters. Director Elizabeth Banks kind of loses a bit of focus and a bit of pacing by trying to keep up with all the characters going on. At the centre of it, I guess you'd say, is Kerry Russell, who's trying to find her daughter. She's sort of the more serious um, heart and soul of the film. Then you've got the broader comedy stuff, Alden Ehrenreich as, as the um, uh, sort of offsider. Uh, trying to track down the bear, the bear and the cocaine for his father, played by the late Ray Liotta, and I think his final film appearance. What a way for him to go out! Um, and then Margot Martindale is the park ranger and jesse tyler ferguson as mentioned and the terrific young actor whose name i didn't write down who has some of the funniest moments is young henry he gets to play a lot of the comedy as well so the only other thing you really have to discuss is do you believe that this is does the cgi does the cgi work for the bed and make it as real as possible and yes it does it looks like a coked up bear going mad butchering people and that's where the fun is to be had so cocaine bear is i hope you enjoyed it because i i had a good time i didn't think it was a particularly great movie but i didn't think it particularly had to be a great movie to make all the the bits work in it um and that seems to be the the general opinion yeah look this is the sort of film where i think that if you go along with some mates and have a couple of beers beforehand and a couple of beers afterwards you can have a great time also i'd suggest take a couple of beers in as well uh it's a really great sort of friday night hang out with your mates sort of a film uh, the special effects for the bear, I think, are perfectly good on the big screen. I do reckon that as soon as you start watching it at home, they'll look a little bit creakier than they do on a screen. Like, it's just kind of the way that special effects work. It just never quite translates yeah. that home experience. Um, I do think they get the bear to do a whole lot of things in CGI, which you'd never have been able to get Bart the bear to do back in the day. So kind of nice to see this happen it's kind of weird that all the reviews for this film seem to harken back to just try to bring snakes on a plane into it but no one discusses bart the bear which you know massive oversight i think from the film critical community uh cast in this one i think is a lot of fun for the sort of film that it is uh margot martindale particularly i think is outrageously hilarious as a park ranger uh you got Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who people would know maybe by seeing the name on the credits, but absolutely know his face and know him from The Wire as the um, guy who just sort of says, shit, a fair bit. And he brings that energy to this role, which I think is fantastic. Uh, Kerry Russell, I can't believe she's still doing movies like this at this stage of her career. But, you know, she's perfectly fine in a sort of, uh, for what she's being asked to do in it, but she doesn't really deliver as much as everyone else does throughout the production um yeah interestingly the full comedy in yeah. this one I, I, I said let me just say i said about kerry russell i said that if if movie stars and i remember saying this to fiona the um when we saw the trailer for it that if movie stars were still a thing i think i think kerry russell would fill that space that sort of a, a sally field or a deborah winger did. she's really likable and really lovable on screen but she's got this great range where she can sort of play across the board so i i, I yeah i I like Kerry Russell a lot and I'd like to see her do more lead performances. Yeah. Of course, that's Simon's bias as a movie guy, just ignoring the fact that she was the lead of the Americans for, you know, quite a bunch of seasons. 
And I mention that because Matthew Reese, who was a co-star in The Americans, also in this film, inexplicably, which, you know, I, I don't know how intentional that was or not. Uh, but you've also got a whole bunch of people in this one who are up-and-comers that, you know, uh, really actually sort of steal the movie. So there's one guy particularly played by, uh, I, I think it's Aaron Holiday, and he's a, uh, I would say, somewhat quirky teenager who kind of gets wrapped up in things at the beginning. And we're back. Yeah, a disruption to our technology can mean only one thing. Invasion. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. So, yeah, sorry, I just finished my Kerry Russell rant. What were you saying? Uh, look, I was also talking. I have no idea how much of... Uh, we use this platform called Riverside. And has all of that uploaded or not? Who knows? Have we lost the entire recording to date? Maybe. Who can say? Oh, well. Who can say for sure? Yeah. Anyway, can say, uh, let's push on through. I'm still recording at this look, end, so I've sorry, got seven minutes of it here, so that should work. All I was going to say is that sure, Kerry Russell's in this, and you're saying that you know it'd be good to get her as a lead, but also she's been the lead of the Americans for the last couple of years. Like she's been putting in some very good work there, sure. and just noteworthy with the Americans as well is that her co-star Matthew Reese is also one of the supporting, supporting, supporting actors in this. One could call it cameo. Great pre-credits pre-credit sequences yeah it was a lot of fun so after cocaine bear is in cinemas everywhere i think it'll probably move to the small screen pretty quickly unless it's one of those massive breakout hits that sort of catches everyone by surprise could it do that is it that sort of movie because it does have some pretty gruesome moments look i think this is a film that's going to do a lot better at the box office than the uh initial expectations were like not wildly better it's not, certainly not doing ant-man three numbers by any means but i think that you know if they're predicting like a 20 30 million dollars hate for the opening weekend it'll do like maybe five millions on top of that like it, it's going to do okay and i think word of mouth is going to be pretty good but yeah it really just depends on what is happening in the world over the next few weeks because you know it's going to be outside influence that dictates how well this film does. Uh, and I just want to say very quickly as part of our What Else Have You Been Watching segment, I did check out the best Oscar nominee documentary Fire of Love on uh, the Disney Plus platform. It tells the story of uh, Marta and Maurice Kraft, two French volcanologists who um, are very much in love and, and uh, travel the world um, going to all the, the wildest volcano uh, sites around the world it is entirely comprised of their uh, archival footage stuff that they've shot their writings their photographs and narrated with such a beautiful voice by actress and writer herself Miranda July um, I think this is going to win the best documentary award it's a stunning piece of documentary filmmaking that captures their lives their loves their adventures in a, a really vibrant and ultimately tragic but as they say in the film it's the way they would have wanted to go um, kind of fashion so yeah it's on disney plus and and well worth seeing 
Okay, now Simon, we're going to do this one a little bit quickly just because, um, you know, we talked about the bear for a little bit. <laughs> Top five, well, sorry. Each of us have written down, sorry, this is the middle bit. I don't think I expressly stated that. Okay, so in the mm. middle of the bit this week, we thought we'd take a look at the films that we're super excited to see come out through the rest of this year. So each of us sure. picked a list of five films. Okay, there may be some double-ups, there may not be. We'll see how this plays out. And so I reckon Simon, we'll go one by one and we'll give a bit of a list. And if you want to go from your most anticipated movie of this year through to, you know, your fifth most anticipated film this year, the and we'll go that way. All right. Yeah. All right. Now, I, I did a little bit of searching with this one. I was kind of keen to get a, a good cross-section of, of, of what's going down. Um, gee, my most anticipated, in no particular order, but I will go with the one I'm most excited about. I look... I wasn't going to go big on the studio sequel kind of thing, but I am most excited about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Um, it is the latest of the, the Mission Impossible franchise. Tom Cruise in his first role since Top Gun Maverick. All the cast are returning. Rebecca Ferguson, Simon Pegg, Vin Rames. Um, it's probably been a couple of years since they filmed it and they had they had a lot of problem bringing it all together but it looks amazing and if there's one big dumb summer american movie i'm looking up forward to it it's mission impossible which i think is is my favorite franchise at the moment so that i'll, I'll lead off with that one yeah look so my list is primarily sort of ip driven stuff with one or terrorist thing and i think for a list like this it's a bit hard to unless there's trailers out and about like, these are the films that you get excited about in advance, even if these aren't necessarily the films that you walk away at the end of the year saying that that was the best time that you had at the cinema. So I'm going to have a lot of IP mm -hmm. stuff in my list here. And the thing that I'm looking forward to most is a film called Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. <laughs> really? Wait, now, yeah. we did not prepare this. We had no idea of your five and my five. So to come out like that, boy, two white guys running a podcast. What could go wrong? All right. Exactly. Mission Impossible. But, but like, this is the thing. Like, the Mission Impossible movies, ever since Mission Impossible 3 with Kerry Russell in the opening yeah. sequence, let's not forget that. Uh, look, I've been a big fan of this franchise. Like, I like the first film fine. The second one's as awful as the reputation really holds out for it. But yeah. the third one was a bit of a... It wasn't quite a return to form, but certainly did a lot of things in the best possible ways, uh, especially with Philip Seymour Hoffman as the villain of that thing. But just film yeah. upon film, it just keeps on growing and improving and becoming just so much more watchable and exciting. And they just keep on stepping it up every time. And yeah, like there's no more exciting and fun time at the movies right now than seeing a Mission Impossible film. So yeah, I'm super keen on this one. Good. Mr. Cruz needs all the help he can get to get his career back on track. So let's get behind Mission Impossible, everyone. He needs your dollars. I'm going to say my next most excited one, and, and this is a bit of a gamble because the director is someone who can be incredibly uh, exciting and, uh, 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 you know, create some of the best movies I've seen over the last few years, and he cannot be. The movie is called Asteroid City. This is the new film from Wes Anderson. It stars Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, so as well as a lot of the Wes Anderson crew from past movies, Ed Norton's in there, Adrian Brody. Uh, it's got Steve Carell and Margot Robbie. So this has got a huge Wes Anderson-like cast. Um, it's it's a period comedy set in 1955 about the students and parents at a, a junior stargazer convention. And that's pretty much all we know about the, the film so far. But when Wes Anderson gets it right, like Grand Budapest Hotel or 
Um, what's another one of his that I absolutely love? Moonrise Kingdom, I loved all the way back to to um, Bottle Rocket. He can get it right when he doesn't get it right, like the Darjeeling Limited. I can get a bit poopy with him, but Asteroid City by Wes Anderson is one I'm I'm always super keen to see. Yes. Dan's frozen again. This podcast may not see the light of day. You there, Dan? Oh, no. <laughs> so we stretch waiting for Dan to rejoin us. Hi, I'm Simon Foster. The films we've mentioned so far are Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning twice, and my second film was Asteroid City. Uh, I don't think any of the trailers are available. Well, the trailer for Mission Impossible is available. And Asteroid City is still a, a bit of a long shot. Just waiting for Dan to rejoin the podcast. Do, do, do. Tech City. What have you been watching? Tell us at the screen watching podcast at gmail email address, gmail.com address, screen watching podcast at gmail.com, where you can send all your questions and thoughts about what's been watching. Is Dan back? Dan's back. I'm back. I have no idea if any of this is safe for the podcast, but whatever. <laughs> Simon Foster, number two on my list of things that I'm super excited by this year is a film by a uh, emerging filmmaker named Wes Anderson called Asteroid City. No way, you're lying. It's right here on my spreadsheet. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Diverse opinion here on your screen watching podcast. All right, let's hear about it. Uh, I mean, pretty much everything you said, uh, except I'd sort of say I'm probably a little bit more of a Wes Anderson fan than you are just generally. Uh, the only film I haven't really sort of been sort of uh, super keen on was the, oh gosh, I can't even think of the name of it. It's the one that sort of brought Ed Norton into the, the fold of his recurring players. Uh, it was the film with the two kids that decides to go missing. You know, they run yeah, away. Moonrise, Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. yeah. Not a big fan of that one, but the rest of them I'm yeah generally pretty keen on. Uh, but yeah, Simon, I'm curious to see what your number three is going to be because I know we're going to have a bit of crossover, but I think oh, I've got two I, films here that it won't. I can almost guarantee this is not going to be a crossover of yours. Netflix have commissioned the latest Zack Snyder film. It's called Rebel Moon. It stars Charlie Hinane, Sophia Butella, Carrie Elwes, the great Corey Stoll, the great Jenna Malone. Um Zack Snyder seems to have a little bit of a, an inwards on the an in on the the money that Netflix are offering up. Um, the story centers on a peaceful colony who, threatened by a tyrant, sent a young woman to neighboring planets to recruit an army. It's apparently going to get a limited theatrical release for, before it heads to Netflix late in the year. I think it, they've got slotted as one of their big December titles. Um, I know you and I differ on Mr. Snyder, but uh, I think a sci-fi adventure under his eye, given the money that, that Netflix offers, could be pretty spectacular stuff. So I'm going to say Rebel Moon at number three. Yeah. Well, he has made one legitimately good movie and then the rest, you know, I got their moments. Okay, so that's absolutely not on my list. So I'm going to drop in a film, which I thought would be on your list, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, it's a film directed by James Mangold called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Now... After that fourth Indiana Jones film, I was kind of done with this as a franchise. I didn't really need to see more. 
But then I saw the trailer for this and it just looks like a whole bunch of fun. Indiana Jones is back. I'm there for another rollicking adventure. Okay, didn't make my five. I know Mangold's a fine director, and of course I'll see this because I'm a Harrison Ford fan. But yeah, I'm I'm looking for slightly more left to center, slightly more sort of non-franchisey kind of things at the moment. My this, fourth. This is just film, what I'm excited by, Simon. I can't. One... The heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> so for me, the director at the moment who I have to see everything he does because he does everything with a very unique perspective is Ari Aster. He did Midsummer. He did Hereditary. Now, I didn't like Hereditary, but I loved the energy and the look and the feel of the film. Um, Bo is Afraid is the new film from the director. It stars Joaquin Phoenix and Amy Ryan and a great support cast as well. It's out not far away, April 21. Um, it's described in the trailer is very weird as an epic odyssey of a man trying to get home to his mother. Um, uh, and bold and ingeniously depraved is one of the th quotes being thrown around about this film. Joaquin Phoenix can do some crazy things that we've seen. Uh, Ari pairing him with Ari Aster, I think, is a, a very exciting prospect. So it's called Bo is Afraid. An extended trailer for that is available to see online. I might put it up on our Facebook page to have a look at. Um, but it's in cinemas April 21. Yeah, I really like Midsummer. So this is, keen this is something I'm quite keen to see. I didn't see Hereditary, though, so I probably need to correct that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, on my list sure. here, I've got Maybe. a film from a director who, look, there's certainly very hit or miss with a lot of his career, and I'd probably err on saying that most of it's miss. So it's got me a little apprehensive, but I kind of want to see what's happening here. David Gordon Green, he's directing a new version of The Exorcist, which promises to... Continue the film series on from the first film while jettisoning all the other Exorcist films that followed. And I'm just kind of curious to see the execution of this one. It's got Anne Dowd in it. Uh, Ellen Burstyn is returning and Leslie Odom Jr. is there in the lead. So, you know, it's an interesting project. I don't know really what I feel about it just yet, but I'm certainly very interested to see it. I liked his early indie stuff. I think he derailed the Halloween series uh, with his version. So I had I looked at this, and I'm certainly a huge Exodus fan, so I'm going to be probably checking it out, but not didn't make my top five. My fifth film is Simon, a bit of a left field Simon. one. A French actress. Uh, yeah. Did I ever tell you about the time I went to the Exodus Steps in Washington? I think you may have. Something yeah, creepy anyway. happened, didn't it? No, I just walked up some steps and down them again. But, you know, there were no priests. It was all fine. True boring story. Yep. Uh, Melanie Laurent is a director and actress who I'm quite excited by. Uh, she is. She has made a film. It's been in the can for a while called The Nightingale, not related to the, the, the Aussie film from a few years back. It's based on a 2015 bestseller. It stars... Two of my favourite young actresses, sisters Elle and Dakota Fanning. Uh, it's set in World War II. They play some French resistance fighters. Um, it has been delayed a few times. I went, it hasn't got a set date in 2023, but it will probably roll out um, at some point this year. So just a good World War II adventure story with two great young actresses directed by a, a lady who I, I uh, find immensely talented. You can see my interview with her on our youtube channel she did a what was that amazon thing she did earlier this year or late last year um it's called the nightingale and it hopefully will be in cinemas this year yeah uh the final thing on my list is a animated movie it's called the super mario brothers movie 
And look, oh. I, I was fairly apprehensive. And then I saw the trailer for it. And I'm like, this is everything I've always wanted to see in my life. <laughs> okay. If you say so, I, I just, that's fine. I mean, yeah, you, as, based upon what you said, you know, you're going up for the IP property and you, you're keen to sort of see this um, on the big screen. That's fine. Here's the thing, oh, Simon. I, as, as a kid, I grew up as a Nintendo kid. And it's never left me. I've, you know, just had such an affinity to Mario. Mario entered my life as an eight-year-old kid. And I've never been able to say goodbye. So here I am, older than eight years old. And there's an opportunity to see a Super Mario Brothers movie that has the promise of being good, as opposed to the movie I saw as a 10-year-old. And here we are. <laughs> Uh, so that was to be the 10 most anticipated films of 2023. In fact, it was eight because we got two exactly the same. Um, but they're still worthy of your attention. Let's move on very quickly to In History this week. Dan Barrett, I think I'm going to stump you with some of these. Uh, February 25, 1971, a new weekly police drama from Crawford Production starts a five-year run on the Network 010, as it was called back then. What was the uh, the show called? Okay, so I feel that I know this one, even though I've actually got no context for the series whatsoever, but I'm pretty certain this one's Matlock Police. Ah, beautifully done. It was called Matlock Police. February 26, 1960, the beautiful Vera Miles stars in Mirror Image, one of the most iconic episodes of which CBS series? Uh, Look, this I feel very confident in saying is The Twilight Zone. Wow, you are on fire today. March 1, 1979. It was known as Sea Day for Australian television. What happened on this day in 1975? Look, I know that I use the C word a fair bit, but when I use the C word, I'm not using the word colour. You've done, you are on fire. If you yes. know this fourth one, it would be a perfect run for you. Okay, March what have we got? 4, 19, March 4, 1985. Seven's affiliation, Network Seven here in Australia, affiliation with NBC and CEN allowed them to broadcast a nightly six-hour package of news and current affairs direct by satellite. What was that six hours of news called? Oh, got no idea. I'm just going to say it's called like overnights. Mm, it was called, and I've closed down my answer sheet. Let me open that up again. <laughs> it was called... Tony uh, Barber and Glenn Ridge would never have done this. It was called News Overnight. There we go. Okay. That's close. Yeah, it was. You did good. You did good. I'm almost inclined to give you that last one. Where's our birthday sting? Uh, let's not play it. No let's sting, take no problems. Okay, yeah, it's been a wild day. Um, okay, what do these birthday buddies have in common? February 26, 1986, the lovely Teresa Palmer. February 27, 1932, Elizabeth Taylor. February 27, 1940, Bill Hunter. And February 3rd, 1982, Jessica Beal. Now, uh, the clue is that they've all sort of had a certain type of co-star or starred in a certain type of movie with had which had um, this thing at the center of it. Can you guess what it is? Can I ask a question? Sure. Was Bill Hunter in Far Lab? Uh, not to my knowledge, but you are very close. He was in yeah, another. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were all in horse movies of some description, but I can't work out what the Bill Hunter movie was. You are. Can you remember what the Jessica Bill one was? 
No, but I kind of know the cover for it. I know that you've been in a horsey film and then Elizabeth Taylor's obviously been in a horsey film. Teresa Palmer played Michelle Payne, the first female jockey to win the Melbourne Cup in Ride Like a Girl. Elizabeth Taylor, of course, became a child superstar with National Velvet. Bill Hunter, he co-starred as trainer Bart Cummings in 2011's The Cup. And he's the one that's going to throw people. Jessica Biel... She voiced the character of Jessica Beale in five episodes of Bojack Horseman. Of course she did. I, I stretched for that last one, but I had to. It's not easy doing these quizzes, you know. Anyway, that's the end of this wildly um, erratic podcast. Let's see if it actually makes it to air. Yeah, let, let's see. I'm incredibly sceptical, but I can see 59% uploaded, so it's uploading something. Simon Foster, I think we're at the end of the podcast. Is that correct? Yeah, we're all done for the day. Okay, then let's get out of here. Folks, this has been Screen Watching. Uh, thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, um, I'd usually give a plug for myself. Uh, Alwaysbewatching.com. It's a newsletter, sign up. Um, Simon, yeah. you do plugs. You've got like a film festival thing that you're doing right now. Yeah, it's happening in Melbourne, uh, the Melbourne Science Fiction Film Festival. We've got some movies right through today, it being Saturday. We had a couple of good movies last night that had some good crowds turn out and closing on Sunday night with a South African film called Vicens. Um, read my words at screen hyphen space. There's a whole lot of Facebook happening on the internet, a whole lot of screen watching happening on the internet at screen watching podcast on Facebook, uh, at screen underscore watching, I think, on YouTube the Twitter page. It's all going crazy this week. So um, check out uh, us where you can. It's a madhouse. Simon Foster, it's been a pleasure. Uh, We'll be back next week with more of the watching of the screens and podcasting about it. Bye. Bye.